0: everyone and welcome back to the physio podcast. My name is Anshi and today we are going to be talking all about muscles. We have a great and broad overview for today's episode so I hope you're ready. Before I begin, I want to mention that all the information contained in this podcast comes from Meyer Bio3200MLO6, Meyer Bio3200MLO7 lecture and Th- Silverthorn's Human Physiology. Let's first get started with an overview of the parasympathetic and sympathetic pathways along with somatic motor pathways and adrenal sympathetic pathways. A few things I want you to remember is that the first receptor-neurotransmitter pair for all of these pathways involves acetylcholine and a nicotinic receptor. Next, a few major differences is that the somatic pathway has only one ganglionic neuron, while the parasympathetic and sympathetic have two. The difference between these pathways, though, is that the preganglionic neuron of the parasympathetic pathway is long, while the preganglionic neuron for the sympathetic is short, and each of their postganglionic neurons is opposite from the pre. Also, with sympathetic, there are usually two coupled pathways, and the postganglionic cell releases norepinephrine, while the postganglionic cell for parasympathetic releases acetylcholine on muscarinic receptors. The adrenal medulla will release epinephrine into the blood vessels. That was a lot of important information, so let's do a quick break it down segment. Do all pathways use a muscarinic or nicotinic receptor on which acetylcholine binds? Have an answer? Yes, it's nicotinic. These are extremely important receptors. To help you remember these concepts more, I think about how parasympathetic, Has the word par in it and the two ganglionic neurons make the shape of a golf club. To remember that sympathetic has two coupled pathways, I like to think that to be sympathetic towards others, someone else, aka another neuron, has to be involved. Now let's move on to skeletal muscle contraction. Before we can talk about the mechanism, we must first talk about the structures that make this possible. The sarcomeres, the sarcoplasmic reticulum, the sarcoplasm, and more. First, it is important to note that these fibers are multinucleated instead of uninucleated. The sarcolemma, the plasma membrane of the muscle cells, has invaginations called T-tubules. These invaginations allow for the electrical signal to pass over the whole cell and reach many parts, and these also interact with the sarcoplasmic reticulum in order to cause the release of calcium, but we will talk about this more soon. The sarcoplasm, or cytoplasm of the muscle cell, is where the calcium is released to. Now you may be wondering, what parts of the muscle actually do the contracting? Well, these would be the sarcomeres. These units of overlapping myosin and actin shorten when the muscle contracts and extend when the muscle relaxes. It is important to remember that the H-band, I-band, and entire sarcomere shorten, but the other structures of the sarcomere do not. Anatomy is always helpful for us to put these concepts in context, right? Well, let's now get into the actual mechanism of contraction. This process is something I have learned in my previous biology courses. A few main things I want you to know is that when ATP binds to the myosin head, this weakens the affinity of myosin to actin. When ATP is hydrolyzed, the myosin head, now bound to ADP and phosphate, will bind weakly to a new site thus contributing to contraction as the myosin is sliding past actin to grab onto a new part of it. Once this occurs, the phosphate group is released, causing the myosin head to change its conformation, and this action is the power stroke. After this, ADP is released, and now we are at the beginning of the cycle as myosin has a high affinity for actin and is tightly bound. i just like to remember that myosin does not want anything in its way. It prefers to be alone, and this is when it has the highest affinity or tightest binding. How about we break this down a little bit more? If ATP binds to the myosin head, will this weaken or strengthen the affinity myosin has for actin? You are right, it would weaken the affinity for actin, allowing the myosin to move to a new site on the actin so that the muscle can actually contract. This is an important aspect of contraction. Let's do one more question. Do the myosin and actin get shorter as the sarcomere shortens? Nope! The only thing that is happening is that they are sliding past each other and overlapping more when they are contracting. Before we conclude our discussion on skeletal muscle contraction, it is important to note how the myosin is able to bind to a new spot on the actin, and this is regulated by calcium. If calcium is released from the sarcoplasmic reticulum following the action potential which depolarizes the sarcolemma, then this calcium is able to bind to the troponin molecule on the actin. Troponin then causes tropomyosin, another molecule blocking the myosin binding site, to move out of the way, essentially allowing for myosin to complete its job of binding to the actin in order to contract. Here is a memory peg I created to remember this concept. ADTMM acting doesn't take much motivation. A for action potential spreading in the T-tubules, D for DHP, a receptor, releasing calcium, T for calcium binding to troponin, M for troponin moving tropomyosin, and M for myosin now being able to bind to actin. Here's a quick question for you. If calcium levels in our muscles decrease, will we contract more or relax more? Exactly. Our muscles would relax because calcium would be needed in order to contract. Okay, that was a great conversation on skeletal muscles, but let's describe a few important similarities and differences between all three types of muscle, skeletal, smooth, and cardiac. First with regards to anatomy, the smooth muscles have a lattice-like structure of actin and myosin due to the myosin having hinged heads, but cardiac muscle has striated sarcomeres like skeletal. Also, skeletal muscles are attached to bones. Cardiac in the heart and smooth as the wall of tube like organs, such as the intestines. In terms of physiology, smooth and cardiac can be autorhythmic while skeletal is under motor neuron control, according to the table on slide 75 of MLO6. Also, skeletal muscle causes an all or none response, while the other two are graded responses, meaning that the level of contraction can vary. In terms of regulation, smooth muscle contraction is regulated by calcium binding to calmodulin which thus activates MLCK, which phosphorylates the myosin head, initiating contraction. Cyclic AMP, however, inhibits MLCK, so an increase in cyclic AMP causes relaxation, as does CGMP with nitric oxide. All of these types of muscle relax more when calcium levels are low. Regulation for cardiac muscles is very similar to that of skeletal muscles, being the concentration of calcium, action potentials, and more. Next, we will be talking about the control of movements and the spindle reflex. Inside the extrafusal fibers of the muscle are muscle spindles, and these tell our brain if our muscles are stretching or not. We also have the Golgi tendon organ which senses force and prevents us from tearing muscles. Lastly, our joint receptors are used to sense changes in pressure and help us with position. I just have a few rules of thumb to help you remember these concepts. The alpha motor neurons are found in the extrafusal fibers, and when they fire in conjunction with the gamma motor neurons found in the intrafusal fibers, the muscle shortens and the firing rate stays constant because the intrafusal fibers maintain their tension. This process is known as alpha-gamma coactivation. Also, the muscle spindle sensory neuron, as quoted by Dr. Meyer, will change their firing rate only when something unexpected occurs. As such, if we think about what happens in one muscle when the spindle sensory neuron increases its firing rate, the alpha motor neuron will increase its firing rate as well in order to cause contraction. If we are discussing a reflex like the knee-jerk reflex, the two sets of muscles will do opposite things, aka the hamstring relaxes while the quadriceps contract. The opposite occurs when discussing the flexion reflex and crossed extensor reflex, in which the leg that hits a stimulus relaxes while the other extends. On the leg that hit the stimulus, the hamstring contracts and the quadriceps relax. Let's break this concept down with a quick question. When the alpha and gamma motor neurons fire at the same time, the firing rate increases, decreases, or stays constant? Yes, it stays constant because tension is maintained. For our last portion of this podcast, we will be discussing the cardiac muscle in particular and how these action potentials compare to other types. Before we begin, I want to mention a few things about circulation to get us in the right mindset. A few things that increase resistance are small vessel diameters, high blood viscosity, and a long vessel length, according to Meyer on slide 32 of MLO 7. Also, the flow velocity can be described by the flow rate divided by cross-sectional area according to Meyer on site 37 of MLO7, and this essentially describes how fast a volume of blood is moving. Now let's compare neuronal action potentials, cardiac myocyte action potentials, and autorhythmic action potentials. The cardiac contractile cells use calcium channels and can be identified by a plateau region right after the peak membrane potential is met. This AP can be described by the opening of first sodium channels, their closing, fast k channels opening at peak to get slight repolarization, then those channels close while calcium open in the plateau region, and then those close while slow k open. In this action potential, certain permeabilities of ions change over the course of time. The cardiac autoarrhythmic cells, on another note, are found in the SA node according to slide 45 of MLO7. These APs use different ion channels like the IF channels. These channels open to membrane hyperpolarization, releasing sodium to depolarize the membrane, causing calcium channels to open right before the threshold is met, causing more CA2 channels to open, leading to the action potential. Slow K channels are also again used to cause repolarization. These two types of action potentials compare to neuronal action potentials in a few ways. All utilize slow potassium channels to repolarize, but the neuronal action potentials utilize only voltage or ligand gated sodium channels, while the other two use channels that make the membrane more permeable to calcium. The myosate action potential is also the only one to use fast potassium channels. All of the action potentials have a depolarization, peak, and repolarization of sorts though, which is important to note. Overall, I like to think about these action potentials in terms of their function. The plateau region of the myocyte is extremely important to prevent the summation of multiple action potentials all at once, according to Meyer on slide 43. Next, I like to think about how the neuronal action potential must easily get to peak and repolarize as we need to continuously be sending action potentials down our neurons. Lastly, I like to think about the autorhythmic cells in a circular pattern. The fact that the IF channels respond to hyperpolarization is an important one to note because as soon as the repolarization phase occurs and ends, the IF channels are able to open in a cyclical way, which contributes to the idea that these are autorhythmic. I hope this helps you compare the three a little bit better. Here's a quick break it down segment which action potential uses IF channels, and what ion do these channels make the membrane more permeable to? Perfect, the autorhythmic cells and sodium. You catch on fast. For our last topic of the day, I wanted to tell you how I view ECGs and remember what each part means. The P wave represents the atria contracting, the QRS complex represents the ventricle contracting, and the T wave represents the ventricle relaxing. To remember these concepts, I made this memory peg. Perfect art is quite variable and tough to recreate. Perfect is for P wave. Art is for atria contraction. Quite is for QRS complex. Variable is for ventricles contracting. Tough is for T wave and recreate is for relaxing of ventricles. That's all for today. I hope you learned a great deal about our muscles today and the information in this podcast was obtained from Myers lectures ML06 and ML07, along with information obtained from the graphics from Silverthorne's Human Physiology. Bye now!